Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there. Welcome into Tears Week here on Fantasy Baseball Today. <laughs> yep. Tears of joy. Tears of joy, Chris. No worries. Monday, January 18th. <laughs> I can't tell if he's happy or sad, frankly. But we're about to find out. More importantly than it being Monday, January 18th, of course, it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Always a very special day, but I think even more so in 2021. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scotty Dubs, Scott White, and CPT. Chris Towers. I mentioned it's Tears Week here on the podcast. We've got a jam-packed show uh, breaking down Scott's tears at three different positions. I have no idea how much we're actually going to get to. Try my best. But catcher, first base, and the second base position. Scott, for everybody out there who might be new to how tears work in general for fantasy sports, but in particular on this show, fantasy baseball, how would you define tears? Well, it's a really simple concept that I, I find very helpful. Uh, it's You, you kind of go through each position and you mark where the biggest drop-offs are and where, you know, it kind of gives you a broad sense of, of how the distribution, what the distribution of talent works like, looks like at each position, uh, how deep they are at the top versus in the middle versus toward the bottom. But where it's... It's most practical use is, I think, during a draft where you can see how many players are left in an active tier at a position. And, and obviously, the position with fewer players in an active tier is probably the one you need to target next because the drop-off's coming there. Scott, I apologize. If there are times where I'm just like laughing throughout the course of the podcast, it's not because I'm laughing at anything you're saying. I'm laughing because Scott's uh, Chris's awesome cat here. This is David Bowie, right, Chris? This is David Bowie. Yeah. yeah, he's just like tapping Chris on the shoulder while you're talking and like trying to get Chris's attention. And it is awesome. And it's very cute. Of course, you could watch us on YouTube, fantasy, uh, youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Make sure to subscribe as well. Um, but yeah, I thought that made a lot of sense. Um, Scott, when you're grouping these players together, are you doing it by ADP? Are you doing it by similar kind of skill sets? What you're expecting out of these players? How oh, are you, no, this how is are you all grou- my opinion. It's okay. It's not really thinking about ADP at all. Obviously, I'm going off my own rankings. Um, they're, they're listed in the order I rank them, but it, it's kind of a way to... It, it, it's kind of meant to supersede the ranking process. Like it's, it's kind of meant to say, okay, yeah, this player is better than this player if you're forcing me to pick, but the idea is if they're in the same tier, they're more or less equal and you shouldn't care that much about what you get. So... In theory, it shouldn't matter what order they're listed within the tiers. And I, and I think that's an important point more generally when you're thinking about 
fantasy baseball is it's it's easy to get caught up on this guy's my number three first baseman and this guy's my number five. So that means the number three guy is better than the number five guy. And that's true. You should think your number three first baseman is better than your number five first baseman. But uh, like the name doesn't matter. And that, a lot of times it's like three might be a bigger name or five might be a bigger name. But if three generally costs a top 15 pick and five generally costs a top 30 pick, you should probably draft number five. If that makes sense, yeah, it yeah. does. It does make sense, um, and, and that's how you can use it from a, uh, a snake draft perspective. But Chris, we often hear people talk about, specifically when it comes to tiers, how they're used in a salary draft, formerly known mm-hmm. as the auction format. We are now adopting the the term salary draft here on Fantasy Baseball today. Um, I think the reason why people use tiers in a salary draft is because you kind of. Once you get towards the end of that tier, the last player in a tier, most people know, right? So we know there's yeah. a big three starting pitchers. There's Garrett Cole, there's Shane Bieber, Jacob DeGrom. Usually the last pitcher in that tier within a salary draft is going to go for much more than the other two because people know that there's a huge drop-off coming in terms of value, in terms of skill in general. Was that for Chris or was that for me? And yeah, Chris that's Muir always himself. a tough thing. I had my microphone <laughs> muted. That's always a tough thing because when you're looking at... Uh, you know, when you're looking at an auction, the one thing you don't know is when the last player from that tier is going to go. And so something you'll see a lot, you know, I feel like last year would see a lot where with third base where you kind of had, I think it was five guys at the top who were all like first rounders or, or top 15 picks. And sometimes you wouldn't see like Nolan Arenado get nominated until the 40th player. And there, there are times when everybody's just kind of waiting for that last guy. And then there are times when, if it goes too long, everybody like you might have more money than everyone else and you're in a good position. So it's not necessarily cut and dry. That's why, you know, a salary draft is, is much more difficult to, uh, you know, to give hard and fast rules on it, I guess. But yeah, generally speaking, like if it's early enough in the draft and there's that last player in the tier, you can sometimes see people get really desperate for, you know, DeGrom and Bieber are already off the board. They are really desperate for Garrett Cole. I'll go as far as to say I don't pay, like I, I don't use the tiers as much as a guide in a salary cap draft as I do in a regular snake draft. Uh, you know, it's helpful to know there's only two players left in this tier or whatever in the middle of a salary cap draft, but like you can't, you can't get, you're not going to be able to time it as perfectly in that as yeah. you can in a, in a snake draft. Yep, all good points when it comes to tiers in general for uh, both snake drafts and for salary drafts. Um, and today we're going to, again, focus on catcher first base and second base. A few news and notes, really not much going on. Scott, we didn't get your thoughts on Corey Kluber signing with the Yankees, a one-year $11 million deal. T.J. LeMahieu returns to the Yankees. Uh, Chris and I did an emergency podcast on Friday, and it seems pretty status quo. LeMay is the number one second baseman. We'll talk about him mm-hmm. a little bit later on. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add when it comes to Corey Kluber? Does this signing him going to the Bronx change anything for his fantasy value? Well, it's, it's not a great venue. It's a good supporting cast. I, I think more than anything, the fact he, he's guaranteed $11 million when it wasn't so clear everybody was that interested in him. I, I think that points to him having a pretty good showcase last Wednesday and um, you know, there, he, he was throwing like high 80s, maybe topping out at 90. Uh, but they're, the thinking is he'll be able to get up to his usual velocity. And 
you know, we may be too quick to write him off. Like we're, we're kind of just presuming decline because he's been, he hasn't pitched in like since 2018, more or less. Um, but he, he could come back and, and still be really good. So I, I'm encouraged that the Yankees are so encouraged, I guess. The ADP again for Kluber is outside the top 200. That would be all the way down at 232. So towards the end of your draft, you want to take a late round flyer on Corey Kluber. Uh, feel free to do so. He is you can he can be had at a at a at a very good discount, more so than ever before. The Red Sox have re-signed starter Martin Perez to a one-year four and a half million dollar deal, which includes a six million dollar team option for 2022. He had a 4.50 ERA, 1.34 whip. Only 46 strikeouts and 62 innings pitched this past season, so I don't really think there's much to add on Martin Perez outside of AL-only leagues. You might want to look at him just because anybody with a pulse you look at in the AL or NL-only league. The Angels. This one is not more, not really for Kurt Suzuki, who signs a one-year deal with the Angels, but I think this kind of hurts Max Stassi, Scott, who's someone I know that you like and I kind of liked because I thought he was going to be the starter, but now it seems like they're going to at least split time between Kurt Suzuki and Max Stassi. Yeah, you would think. You would think. In fact, I'm not so sure. I mean, we're going on a very small sample for Stassi uh, where like 100 at-bats, basically, where he was good. And okay, maybe he could be that good. Uh, wouldn't it surprise me if Suzuki got even the majority of the at-bats there. So they're both, they're both probably in the 15-20 range in my catcher rankings going forward. Not much else going on. There's some rumors about Brad Hand, Kirby Yates getting closer. The Mets apparently were in on Brad Hand. The Blue Jays, Astros have been in on uh, on Brad Hand. So we'll see where those guys sign, hopefully soon. Uh, there have been rumors about Luis Castillo being dealt to the New York Yankees, but apparently that came from uh, Hector Gomez on Twitter, but not really all that credible, it seems like. Jeff Passan called him out, so... <laughs> Uh, that was wild. Yeah, Jeff Passan. Jeff Passan tweet. Luis Castillo. This is from Passan, his tweet. Luis Castillo has not been traded to the Yankees. Stop believing people who consistently get things wrong. So that's where we're at. Uh, we'll see what happens with Luis Castillo. Positional rough. tears. What's up, Chris? That's rough. It is uh, rough, but probably warranted because nobody else in the industry has reported anything being close between the Yankees and Luis Castillo. Good. Uh, for these positional tiers, of course, we're not going to go super deep on every player here. We're going to save that four-hour position preview podcast, which will come sometime in the middle of February. This is more so about just the groupings of players and, and just strategy discussion in general. Catcher. This position stinks. It's like tight end in fantasy football, except worse. How can you possibly be worse than tight end? Well, you know, you're probably going to have three tight ends in fantasy football go within the first two rounds. That's not going to happen with catchers in fantasy baseball. And uh, even worse is, is you need two of these. You have to start two catchers in most Roto leagues. The elite, JT Real Muto. <laughs> Not really much to add here, Scott. Um, of course, these are uh, Scott's tiers, and you can find them on cbsports.com slash fantasy. Click on baseball, and you can find all the articles uh, there. They should be up on Monday by the time you're listening to this. Uh, JT Real Muto has finished as the number one catcher in Roto each of the past three seasons. He's finished first or second in head-to-head points leagues during that span. The ADP is 41.3, Scott. He is the number one catcher. There's really no doubt about it. Would you actually take him at his ADP in the fourth round? Probably not. Uh, It would 
it would actually be easier to do in a head-to-head league with the smaller lineups uh, just because you need more impact from every position. And by the way, these, these tiers aren't made up just for, for Roto leagues. Like I, I mark, I mark where a person would be lower if it was a Roto league or if it was a points league, I actually put them in their highest tier regardless of format and then mark if they need to drop them a tier depending on your format. So a real Muto would be in a tier of his own regardless of format. The, the only thing I would say about this is uh, I have him in the elite tier at catcher because the top catcher is going to go later than the elite at virtually every other position. The, the tier actually called the elite. Um, there's, I, I have half a mind to just skip the top tier at catcher altogether. So as to make it clear, you can wait to get this guy relative to elite players at other positions. But this is how I mean, it is for now. That's kind of the thing with like, like an elite catcher is probably more like a, I don't know. You usually break it down elite, sub elite, very good, et cetera. Stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. I get the the elite catcher is more like the very good tier at other positions, probably. Right. The near elite is what I call it. Yeah. 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 The near elite at this position, Wilson Contreras and Salvador Perez, just two names here. Salvador Perez missed all of 2019 with Tommy John, and it seemed to really reinvigorate himself in 2020. Uh, career year, 333 batting average, 11 home runs. 32 RBI. He did all that in just 37 games for Salvi. He had a 986 OPS. His OPS was never higher than 792 in a in another full season. Uh, Wilson Contreras this past season, he was fine. 243, seven homers, 37 runs in 57 games. Uh, changed up the bat of ball data a little bit. But I know that I prefer Salvador Perez. Scott prefers Wilson Contreras. Um, but Chris, based on what you said earlier that just because a player is ranked higher doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to draft that player. I think that's how I feel about this because if you can get Wilson Contreras 25 picks later, which 35 picks later on, you know, according to ADP on fantasy pros, I would much rather do that. Like I, I love Salvador Perez, but if you're telling me you'll get Contreras for 35 picks later, I'd much rather do that. And they're in the yeah, same team. And I, I've got, for for my uh, my salary cap values, um, I've got Real Muto at twenty one. I've got Salvador Perez, Will Smith at eight dollars, and and Wilson Contreras at seven. So that that tells you that I don't see much of a difference between those guys. And Yasmani Grandal is right there for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just take whichever one goes latest, really. Well, yeah, I mean, what I would say about this tier with just Wilson Contreras and Salvador Perez is that it's really tempting to just combine it with the next tier, which it seems like Chris Chris did include Will Smith and Yasmani Grandal yeah. alongside Wilson Contreras and Salvador Perez. Um, so the next tier, the third tier down, which I call the next best things, and includes Grandal, Will Smith, also Gary Sanchez, and Travis Darnot. Um, like, it... It's tempting to make that just one big tier with Salvador Perez and Wilson Contreras, but I know that's not how I've been drafting so far. Like, it's weird because even though ADP shows Salvador Perez going after Wilson Contreras, like every draft I've done, Salvador Perez has fallen and fallen and fallen. And like, I clearly value him more than somebody like, well, certainly like Gary Sanchez, who I include in 
in that tier with Will Smith and Yasmani Grandal. And I w- I'll also say that Will Smith, if the playing time was for sure there for him, um, like statistically, the percentages, uh, like he could be the number two catcher in fantasy, but I just don't trust the Dodgers usage of him. Because I mean, I mean, they didn't they didn't treat him like a regular catcher last year, except until in the, the playoffs, postseason. when of yeah. course there was a lot of uh, a lot more at stake. Yeah, so, but it's worth remembering with this team that I want to say going into twenty nineteen was that the year that they twenty eighteen was the year they used Austin Barnes a lot in the playoffs. He he played I think more than half the starts. Um, yeah, I remember. I don't remember exactly. There was one was. year where yeah. Austin Barnes played more in the playoffs than than Yasmani Grandal, and and there was some thought that oh maybe Yasmani Grandal, and and I think Yasmani Grandal probably ended up starting 130 games. Yeah. Um. So, I think that, that was going into Grandal's final season with the Dodgers. Yeah. yeah, I think that tells us something. You know, I think Will Smith playing all that much in the play and look based on what he's done in the majors so far. If you think he was going to do that, he would be the number one catcher. I think, you know, he's got like a 900 OPS in the majors. It's just uh, because he got called up midway through 2019 and because he, you know, 2020 was 60 game season. I think he's only played like 76 games in his career or something like that. That would be 91 career games at a 937 OPS. So pretty damn impressive for Will Smith, who is just uh, 25 years old. He'll be 26 by the time the season starts, but really made some just massive improvements from 2019 to 2020. It was just a completely different player. Cut his strikeout rate by 10%. Walk rate, raised it by 5%. 27% line drive rate. The guy just, comp- it was a metamorphosis for uh, for Will Smith. So I have him as my fourth catcher um, in my rankings, but I, I kind of, I agree with the, the tiers though, Scott. I do think that Wilson Contreras, based on Wilson Contreras and Salvador Perez, based on their uh, track record and what we just saw Salvador Perez do this past season, I, I do think that they're still kind of in a tier of their own. Um, but if we're just ranking within the tier, I do think Will Smith should be at the top of this next tier. Gary Sanchez is included and super interesting because his ADP is way behind all all the names in this tier. And he's actually behind some of the names that are even in the next tier. So it seems like the people who have been burned by Gary Sanchez, they've all kind of united and <laughs> they've agreed. We're just not drafting Gary Sanchez. I have never rostered him in my life. His ADP is 177.7 on fantasy pros last year. It was 53.1. Scott, this is a classic. This yeah. is just a floor, a floor versus ceiling. Like I think his floor is, you know, he could probably be benched at some point, but his ceiling is he could be the number one catcher. He can hit, you know, 260 with 30 plus home runs in the middle of a great lineup. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is the most this is the cheapest he's ever been. Yeah, ever. Um, there have been years where I put him in the elite tier with Real Muto. I, I think going into last year, that's where I had him. So, I, I having him third tier now. You know, if he's going well behind those other three, that just means I'm going to end up with a lot of Gary Sanchez, and I'm fine with it because the downside, if you miss a catcher, okay, you're you're going to the waiver wire, but uh, there's usually pretty good options there, at least in a one-catcher league, because uh, no nobody ever rosters a second catcher in a one-catcher league. Yeah, yeah and, and just to kind of, you know, paint the picture of that, like if you miss a catcher, I, I have Gary Sanchez as a $6 player, there's, I only have 10 
catchers right now who are have any auction value because uh, I did my top 600 and gave auction values to each of the top 276. And I will have to move 14 catchers into my tip to top 276 because that's how our rankings work. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, that there are there are not many. Gary Sanchez is one of the few catchers, I would say maybe five or six, who can produce like a player who would be worth starting in another position. This next tier, the fallback options includes the aforementioned Austin Nola, James McCann, who is now with the New York Mets. He'll be their starting catcher. Christian Vasquez and Mitch Garver. The tier right after this, Scott, is is the last resorts. That is just one player, Sean Murphy. I, I kind of feel like he should be in this tier with these other names. Why why didn't Sean, Sean Murphy make the cut? Because I, I do feel like he has the potential to perform like those other four, um, but he's not quite there yet. So it's, it's a lower level of comfort for me than Nola McCann, Vasquez... And Garver's kind of with them just because he was so amazing in 20, 2019. So, um, you know, I value him about the same level of those others just as a bounce-back candidate. Sean Murphy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think these are fitting names for these tiers, the fallback options. Like, if Christian Vasquez is my starter at catcher... Um, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I Clearly, it's not a position I invested a lot in, but I'll probably be fine there. So... I fell back on Christian Vasquez. Last resort, Sean Murphy. Okay, there's still the upside that he could be like a Christian Vasquez, but it's it's um, it's not as assured. It is not assured. Does have some prospect pedigree, but had a really, really big September. Mind you, it was only 16 games that he played in September. 277 batting average for Murphy with an OPS over 1,000. Five homers, 13 runs scored. And I think it'll be yeah, really... I want to say he had some playing time issues too, kind of like Will Smith, and that's that's part of the reason I'm not as high on him as I could be. Yeah, the 16 games would either be he was splitting time or he missed time, and he does have a very extensive yeah. injury history. Again, this is Sean Murphy of the Oakland A's. He, he, he was he was starting like two out of three games, sometimes just every other game for the A's. There was a lot of off days for him. Mm-hmm. The plate discipline for him really does stand out. So from a points league or, or an OBP perspective, during September, he had a 20% walk rate. Uh, Chris, if I just group these tiers together, Austin Nola, James McCann, Christian Vasquez, Mitch Garver, Sean Murphy... To me, and, and this is the whole reason why we're doing this, this tiers discussion, this is the drop-off. This is the last group of catchers that I would want as my starter in a one-catcher league and in a two-catcher league. This is probably the last group that I would I would want at least someone to this point to be my first catcher in a two-catcher league. Uh, I think that makes sense. Yeah, like having two guys from that that group seems like a good idea. Um, and they're, they're all so cheap that it doesn't really... Uh, there's not really any reason not to, to target one of these guys. Um, but yeah, this is the kind of one where if I don't have anybody from one of the tiers in this one or before that, I'm probably just waiting until my last couple of picks a catcher. The next tier we have the deep leaguers. This includes Max Stassi, Pedro Severino, Yadier Molina, Buster Posey, Jorge Alfaro, Tom Murphy, Sam Huff, and Alejandro Kirk. Huff and Kirk specifically... Scott, are uh, two youngsters with uh, potentially a good amount of upside as your catcher two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, those two guys I plan on drafting as my second catcher in a lot of two-catcher leagues. Kirk, more geared for contact. Huff, more geared for power. And, and 
actually a lot of strikeouts. So they're they're kind of polar opposites in that way. Uh, but they're the upside plays from this tier, I would say. Uh, you know, there's still a chance Tom Murphy could provide a lot of power if he plays regularly enough. And Buster Posey, you know, maybe he's he's healthier than we've seen him in a few years and is still pretty good. Um, but for yeah, I mean, these are these are catchers will pretty much only be drafted in two catcher leagues. And then I don't I don't even think we need to do the tier after this, the leftovers tier. It's so long. Yeah, there's I so think many we names. Probably in just here. move on to first base. Um, the, the one name I did want to point out from the leftovers tier, Scott, is Dalton Varsho, who came okay. up last year for the Arizona Diamondbacks, a unique prospect because he could play in the outfield and he can also play as catcher. And as of now, expected to start in the outfield. So I wonder, would you consider moving him up in a roto context, Scott, just because he can contribute some steals, you know, maybe 10 to 12 homers, 10 to 12 steals. And I think he's going to play more regularly than other catchers if he's starting in the outfield. So do you think... Where did you see that he's expected to start in the outfield? Because I hadn't seen that yet. That is... That's according to Roster Resource. So these are just like super early projections. Right. So they're just filling out... They're filling out a lineup with the names that are there as opposed... Yeah. They have The presumption is the Diamondbacks will have more players between now and opening day. So I'm I'm assuming Varsho and Kelly are going to split at bats mostly behind the plate with Varsho maybe occasionally appearing in the outfield. Mm-hmm. If if Varsho is an everyday player somewhere else, I mean, that might move him up a couple tiers. That might, maybe he joins Sean Murphy in the last resorts. I don't know. Because usually that's that's a big boost to a player's value if he's playing, if a catcher eligible playing is player is playing mostly somewhere else. I mean, you just look at what he's done at double A, let alone, you know, he didn't do he didn't do much at the majors last season, although three steals and three homers in 37 games. That's nice from a catcher. But at double A, it was 108 games, 18 homers, 21 steals, 301 uh, average, 899 OPS with good plate discipline. Mm-hmm. It yeah, could be a very excellent. good profile. I, I mean, he's a better prospect than Sam Huff and Alejandro Kirk. It's just mm-hmm. I don't see as much opportunity yeah. for him to play as of now. So he played... 10 games at catcher and 19 in the outfield last season. So it seems like they don't mind throwing him in the outfield there. According to roster resource, they have him on the strong side of a platoon in center field, starting as a left-handed bat against right-handed pitching. So we'll, we'll see. Love, love a catcher slash center fielder. <laughs> so, he, can move to, he can move to second base later on in his career. It's just, it's such an, such an interesting player, but the minor league profile is pretty good. Uh, and I will just point out the ADP for Varsho is 209. That is just ahead of James McCann, three spots ahead of James McCann and 20 spots ahead of Mitch Garver. So, you know, you just kind of, you mentioned Scott, that if we knew that he was going to play in the outfield, that he would be up around that Sean Murphy range. It seems like people are assuming based on his ADP that that will be the case. So we'll see. Uh, It's something, it's something to watch closer to uh, spring training and, you know, we'll see a bunch of camp battles and where he's playing uh, throughout the spring. And I think all those things will help us form an opinion. He is not catcher eligible on CBS leagues though. He to start the season. Should, he be. should be. He played 10 games uh, at catcher. Hmm. Is he not okay. showing up? Are you looking in a league that hasn't had its settings adjusted for the shortened season? Maybe. I went with the, the Roto League we played last year. Yeah. So it's yeah. possible. So his primary position is outfield. And if, if it doesn't... Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, okay. And that's just a really good point. League settings. It's, it's a really good point to mention because people have been asking on our fantasy, uh, on our Facebook group page, they've been asking what the eligibility is for this year on CBS and for position players, it's 10 games played in 2020. Normally it's 20 games over the course of a 162 game season. And if 
if we were going proportionately, that would be like seven to eight games. We thought that was too few, so we rounded that up to 10 games. If a player, a position player, played 10 games at that position in 2020, they will have that eligibility on CBS. But, but if you're in a commissioner league, that's, you know, you're, you're, you're playing in the same league that you were in last year. That's a setting you'll have to, like, those aren't going to be adjusted. We're not going to go in and change your settings for you. Okay. Um, if you're starting a league fresh, that's what it's going to default to. But if it's, if it's an old league, you'll have to change your settings to reflect that or not reflect it if you so choose. Before we get to first base and second base, I just want to let everyone know that we have reached that point of the year where there's a lot, a lot of sports going on at once. The NBA, college hoops, hockey, remember hockey? Not to mention the NFL playoffs and golf, which is why we wanted to tell you about the CBS Sports app and how it's not just the best scoring app for your phone, but it's also where you get breaking news alerts, stories by all of our CBS Sports writers, including everyone here on this podcast, standing schedules, team pages, and all the sportsy digital stuff you're used to. And of course, if a game is airing on CBS, that means it's streaming on the CBS Sports app. Easy, right? Download it. Uh, re-download it if it has that little cloud logo next to it on your phone. And you know we love those five-star ratings, so don't hesitate to drop one for the app. If you do, tweet us a screenshot along with the mailbag question for us to use on an upcoming episode. Thanks, as always, for your support. And we mentioned earlier, if you haven't yet, you want to see Chris's cat, you want to see Scott's awesome living room, Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Hit that big red subscribe button. Thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, first base tiers here, fantasy baseball today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we'd go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The elite tier. And I noticed, Scott, actually went back and listened to uh, your guys' podcast on tiers last year, just to get an idea of how to set this bad boy up. You do not have a super elite tier for first base. Now, what would constitute being in a super elite tier, and why don't you have one for first base? Well, it's... 
some positions need more tiers than others. And sometimes they need an extra tier on the top end. Sometimes they need an extra tier on the bottom end. The first first baseman is Freddie Freeman. Uh, is he distinguished enough from Cody Bellinger to deserve a separate tier? Maybe. You could make the argument. But to be consistent across the positions, I only gave positions a super elite tier if they had somebody who so obviously had to be a first rounder versus the next one down who's so obviously had to be not a first rounder. Um, So it was just kind of a way the positions with the super elite tier saying, all right, it's still the first round. If there's a super elite tier guy left, regardless of the position, you need to take that guy. And Freddie Freeman is a borderline first rounder, but I think we most often see him go in the second. That's about right. He goes usually around that turn at the one, two turn in a 12 team league. That elite tier includes Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger, and DJ LeMayhew. DJ Elite. Scott, that yeah. would mean that you are considering... Does that mean like you're considering taking him at that turn as well because he's in the same tier as these guys? Or do you just expect similar overall production from DJ LeMayhew? Well, it gets complicated when you've got multi-eligibility guys, right? Obviously, LeMayhew's most often going to be drafted at second base, and I think he's the only one I could call elite at second base. He's in a tier all to himself at that position. And again, I'm trying to make the tiers consistent between positions as well as reflecting the breakdown of the position itself. Um, I I suppose you could argue, and I'm comfortable saying this, that you know, it's it's better to bypass Freeman and Bellinger for something else and take LeMahieu as your first baseman, but that's just a weird, a weird way thing to plan for because you'd much rather have LeMahieu as your second LeMahieu as your second baseman. So I don't think anybody's actually going to say, well, okay, I won't draft Freeman or Bellinger because then I'm blocking LeMahieu for playing first base. You know? Yeah, yeah, that um, makes so sense. You definitely want to use him at second base. I think that's right. probably the biggest takeaway from this. Most likely. I, I could see in a salary cap draft where you haven't filled first base and he just goes later and maybe he winds up your first baseman. But I, I think that's a pretty weird scenario for the most part. You know what is interesting that you can do mid-draft if you take LeMahieu though is, and I just did this, I'm currently in, in an NFBC draft going on. I drafted him in the third round of a 15 team. This is a 5 by 5 roto. And I drafted him as my second baseman, but as the draft went on, it turned out that there was another second baseman that just kept falling. So because of that, I drafted that player and then I moved DJ LeMahieu over to third base. So yeah, you know, that's happened to me too. Having that option and that type of versatility mid draft is really awesome for someone like LeMahieu, who of course has triple eligibility, first, second base and third base. The debate here is Freddie Freeman versus Cody Bellinger. Freeman, higher floor, I think he is probably safer in general. Cody Bellinger, uh, Potentially has more upside than someone like Freddie Freeman. He is younger, of course, um, but shoulder surgery. Bellinger had shoulder surgery. He had a batting stance change last year, which kind of threw him off. Uh, he has now struggled against left-handed pitching in two of the last three years. 681 OPS back in 2018 against lefties. 666 OPS against them here in 2020. Chris, if you are if you have the 12th pick and you want to take a first baseman. Are you taking Freddie Freeman or Cody Bellinger if both of them are on the board? I think I'm going with Bellinger, but it's pretty close. I think I have them separated three spots overall uh, in my rankings. So 
I, I think Bellinger gets just a slight edge, but it's it's not a significant one. And you know, I, I definitely do think there is more risk with Cody Bellinger, uh, given the injuries, given the fact that he struggled so much last season. But last season was a you know obviously a small sample size. He was arguably the best player in fantasy in 2019. So I, I just think I'm not going to overreact to the to the you know 60 game season there. Um, Freeman is consistently going to be, you know, one of the 10 best hitters, 15 best hitters in fantasy every year. Uh, he's been that, you know, pr- pretty much every year. I think there might've been the one year where, where he had that wrist injury and, and wasn't quite himself, but otherwise, y- you know what you're getting and what you're getting is a high batting average, tons of runs in RBI and, and good home runs. I just, I think Bellinger's steal potential, you know, he could match Freeman across the board and also steal 15 bases. I don't know if the batting average has that much of a chance. Bellinger hit 305 in, two, uh, in 2019, but he is a 273 career hitter. So, um, yeah, I, I think the batting average is much safer for Freeman, but you're right about the steals. He's gonna- and it's worth noting, he did sustain his plate discipline gains in 2020. Yep. You and- know, he, he only struck out 17.3% of the time. So, you know, when you compare, you know, the fact that he only hit 239 last season, that's really bad. But... You know, he was only like a 260, 267 hitter his first two seasons. That was back when he was a 27 to 24% strikeout rate guy. Now that he's a, you know, 16 to 17% strikeout rate guy, presumably moving forward, uh, I, I do think the batting average ceiling is there. He's not a sure thing uh, as Freddie Freeman in that category. That is, you know, one of the places where Freeman really stands out. But, um, you know, I, I do want to note that for Bellinger's sake. And that is fair um, because his BABIP was 245 in 2020, 297 for Cody Bellinger's career. So did perf- underperform his uh, his BABIP where he's been at for, for most of his career in 2020. I prefer Freddie Freeman. I just prefer the safety in, the, in my early round pick. So I'll take Freeman over Cody Bellinger. The near elite tier, Jose Abreu, Luke Voigt, Anthony Rizzo, who is lower in a categories league, so Roto or in a head-to-head categories. Yeah, he would, he would be in this tier for a points league, but not in a categories, not in a categories league. Uh, Pete Alonzo and Matt Olson. Now, this is a solid, an interesting blend of career years versus big underperformers uh, this past season. Jose Abreu, he was awesome this past year. I love him. You know, I was talking him up, um, and you know, he's. Annually, he was annually undervalued, but now the ADP is caught up. It's 31.7. So as much as I love Jose Abreu coming off of a career year, I think it's tough to pay that early of a price. Pete Alonso, ADP 54.7. Yeah, that's higher than I actually thought it would be. I kept making the argument last year. Why would you take Pete Alonso when you can get Matt Olson three to four rounds later? And we're basically in the same spot again. So unless you just really don't like Matt Olson, which... Brings us to both him and, and Anthony Rizzo here, who these are um, these are the bad Babbitt bros. That's that's what I've labeled them because <laughs> Matt Olson, two twenty seven Babbitt in twenty twenty, two seventy seven for his career. That's fifty points below his career mark. Uh, the average exit velocity still in line. Anthony Rizzo, who has an extensive track record, two eighteen Babbitt in twenty twenty, two eighty six for his career. So, what do you think of this tier in general, Scott? Um, Abreu, Voit, Rizzo. Pete Alonso, Matt Olson. I've I've been kind of just gravitating towards Rizzo and Olson because they're going uh, picks eighty five and ninety one respectively, which seems like good values. 
Yeah, I do want to stress again, Rizzo's only in this tier in a points league because his plate discipline is so good. Strikeouts very low year after year, and that matters in that format. Uh, I, I really don't want much of anything to do with him in a categories league just because he just doesn't compare power-wise. It's it's become increasingly so over the years to to some of the others at this position. I think this tier, the fact that I'm tiering Abreu and Voigt with Alonzo and Olsen shows why I'm not going to have much Abreu and Voigt this year. Uh, because I'm not sure everybody would do that based on the way their 2020 seasons went. Although in our most recent mock draft, Alonzo went before Voigt, and it was the tier was just down to Voigt and Olsen. So I ended up with Voigt, I think, in round six. Um, so that you know, that's one way you can use the tiers to keep you on track. And it may not play out exactly the way you think it's going to. The next best things tier includes Paul Goldschmidt, Dominic Smith, Vladimir Guerrero, Max Muncy, Carlos Santana, who is lower in, league only. in a yeah. categories league, uh, Mike Moustakis, and then Reese Hoskins, who is also points league only for this tier, and he would be lowered in a categories league. Scott, is this the cutoff for the position in general, who you want, who you would want as a starter? Is this the last tier that you'd be looking at to, to fill your starting first baseman? Yeah, if I, don't, if I don't have my first baseman by the end of this tier, it's... Um, Something went terribly wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the thing is, first base has a lot of depth in these middle to late rounds. Like it, that's a very long tier for the next best things. The the what's normally the third tier to position. Uh, That that's an unusually big tier. Um, But the tiers had been pretty small, building up to this. So. I'm not going to say all is lost if I don't get a first baseman from among this group. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, but like, you, you know, the next tier, I mean, the next tier would include, I'll just go through it. Miguel Sano, Eric Hosmer, Josh Bell, who's very interesting. Ryan Mountcastle, Tommy Listella and Jake Cronenworth. You're probably going to draft him to play another position. Um, but you know, there's, I feel like you probably need to double up at the position to kind of hedge your bets with like maybe a Josh Bell and a Ryan Mountcastle. If, uh, if you miss out on the first three tiers at third base, uh, at first base, if you don't get, uh, you know, a Paul Goldschmidt or a Vladimir Guerrero. Um, yeah, and, and you know that that tier does shrink if you're not including Carlos Santana and Reese Hoskins in it, if you're, if, if you're doing a, a five-by-five league. Uh, so I guess that would make it a little harder. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know. I haven't done a draft yet where I haven't gotten a first baseman by the end of this tier, I guess. Scott, I guess you haven't seen the pictures of Vladimir Guerrero recently that have been making their rounds on the internet. This guy is jacked the up. The streets are ablaze. He has lost all the baby fat. He still just yeah. has a seven... Eh, has he? Eh, maybe not. There's um, like one picture of him from far away that we're like... Like there's... The, it's like... It's all based on like this one picture that one person posted comparing to another picture from another person. But like one of them's outside and close up and shot from below... One of them's inside and far away and shot at eye level. He's yeah. wearing a, a, a stretchy shirt in one of them and a baggy shirt. And it's just like, look, <laughs> as a chubby guy, I am well aware of how much your your clothing choices and the fit can create the illusion that you are slightly less chubby than you are. He looks to be in better shape. But the thing I struggle with with this whole conversation 
he wasn't he wasn't like jacked when we thought he was the best hitting prospect of his generation. Right. And so like this idea that like, oh, he's skinny. So he's going to be good now. Like we have no we don't have a control here. You know, we don't have like a sample size where he was svelte and cut and a sample size where he looked like he did last season. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, now we can compare the like, we're just looking for reasons to like Vladimir Guerrero. And I would very much like Vladimir. He, he is outside of John Carlos Stanton since he joined the, the majors, basically the elite batted ball guy in, in baseball in terms of uh, max exit velo, number of batted balls over 115 and 110 miles an hour. Like he's, he's right there with everyone outside of John Carlos Stanton. I would say the, are you, are you done? Yes. I would say the problem with Guerrero is what his launch looks like, not what yes. his lunch looks like. Oh! Yeah, I had time to think that one through. And yeah, it just and to be clear, I think the Blue Jays hitting coach coming into the 2020 season, you know, back in the offseason said that, uh, you know, he was going to try to hit the ball in the air more, but it wasn't because he was going to try to change his swing. It was more about getting his legs into uh, his swing so he can get under the ball and part of the issue for him in 2019 was that, um, you know, he was getting fatigued late in the season and that was why he wasn't able to get his legs under him. So it's possible that getting into better shape will lead to these results, but let's like, we do this a lot with like the training camp pictures of a guy looking fat or skinny or in shape or when it usually doesn't mean anything. Best shape of his life. And uh, it's we're only, only like a month January. away from that season. <laughs> uh, and I will point out, as we've seen from uh, James Harden pictures that were making their rounds on the internet, that uh, it's very easy to kind of deceive your audience about what your weight is. So um, just keep Certain that in colors, mind, man. Black is black as a slimming color. <laughs> that is that is one thing to keep in mind. Safe to say, uh, Scott, you probably won't have many shares of Vlad because his current ADP is 61 and he is um, going ahead of even names that you had in the tier before this. So I don't really see him falling in many drafts. Um, There will always be somebody in at least one draft who thinks he has, you know, first, second, third round caliber upside, which one of these years it might actually happen. It just hasn't happened yet. He does. I, you know, he's 22 still. But, you know, I think the saying is to, to the, the acronym is T-A, T-A-O-A, I think is the, the acronym for... Te-A-W-A. Uh, what's that? Te-A-W-A. Yeah. I'll let you guys figure that one out because I don't want to get in trouble for saying it out loud. The fallback options, you kind of mentioned some of these. Sano, Eric Hosmer, Josh Bell, Ryan Mountcastle, Tommy LaStella, Jake Cronenworth, uh, all kind of interesting names. Eric Hosmer had that whole launch angle fiasco early in the season last year where we... He's finally hitting line drives and fly balls, but every month preceding July, he started hitting more ground balls. Uh, so keep that in mind. His ADP is right around 150. The lineup context, the team context for him is still very good, so it might not even matter if he's hitting in the middle of a of a really good uh, Padres lineup. The last resorts tier, Christian Walker, Jamer Candelario, Brandon Belt, Yuli Gurriel, Jesus Aguilar, Jared Walsh, Bobby Dahlbeck, who would be lower in a points league. Scott, anyone you want to hit on here real quick from this tier? I was torn what to do with Jared Walsh and Bobby Dahlbeck. Walsh uh, was amazing in September. Huge power surge, and he hit for a ton of power in the minors. His strikeout rate was strangely low, (laughs) much lower than it's ever been in the minors or what we saw from him in the majors in 2019. Uh, I mean, if he can keep that up, then... 
I think he's easily in this tier, but it's, it's, you know, not much to go on. It's just obviously once you're down to this tier, you're at a very late stage of the draft and, and you don't worry so much about the downside for a player anyway. Yeah. Anything from this last resorts tier and beyond is probably someone you want as your corner infielder or utility yeah. bat in a roto or, or deeper lineup kind of league. Uh, the last two tiers, deep leaguers and leftovers, there's 18 names included in both of these tiers, uh, and I'm not going to read all of them. You can find them on our site. Again, cbsports.com slash fantasy. Kick, click on baseball. Um, but I do love Rowdy Telez and Nate Lowe, uh, and to a lesser extent, I like Joey Votto, who made a mechanical batting stance change midseason and just hit for a bunch of power over the final month. But there will be time to talk about Joey Votto. Second base. I've seen some people refer to second base as a deep position, or I guess deeper position than we're used to. And I will say that there are a lot of solid options in second base. So I guess if that's the definition you want to use for deep, fine. But it's still not a it's not a great position. There's just not a lot of top-tier talent, elite-level talent up at the top. And, you know, you're not going to see a second baseman drafted in the first two rounds. That's including DJ LeMahieu, who we've spoken a bunch about already today. Um, he is in the elite tier for Scott. He is alone. He is head and shoulders above everybody else. And I think that's the case in a head-to-head points league. I think he just averaged 4.0 fantasy points per game. That was tied for 10th among all hitters in points leagues. But in Roto, I think that it's pretty close between DJ LeMahieu and, and Ozzie Albies. So, Scott, how close were you to having Ozzie Albies? If, I mean, maybe you weren't close at all to having uh, him in that same tier as DJ LeMahieu. I wasn't that close. Okay. I think I think Ozzy Albies gets a little overrated in Roto Leagues. He's he's good at everything, but he's not great at anything. Probably his greatest category is batting average, and he's nowhere near LeMayhew or even the other guy he is tiered with here, Whit Merrifield. I'd take I'd take Whit Merrifield to outperform Ozzy Albies in batting average. Um and steals way. You, you know, frankly, f- frankly. I have a hard time justifying ranking all these behind Whit Merrifield, but I kind of like Whit Merrifield more for Roto Leagues because I think the the steals upside is so much higher and the other categories are probably going to be pretty similar. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the two harder categories to come by in Roto Leagues are batting average and steals, and Merrifield is probably going to be better than Ozzy Albies in both of those. Ozzy will probably hit for more power and most likely score more runs in a better Atlanta Braves lineup. But I will just say uh, for Albies, it was a weird 2020 for everyone. But for him, he's out with a wrist injury. He only played 29 games. In those 29 games, six homers and three steals for Ozzy Albies. That is a 30 home run, 15 steal pace over the course of 150 games. So if you want to take anything away from this season, um, Albies was still uh, pretty good in that regard. Yeah. I, I, I'm i going to go out on a limb and say Ozzy Albies will never have a 30-homer season. I just don't think he has quite that much power. Obviously, a small pace like that, it's it's possible for him to do it, but I think 25 is probably about his his upside there. Yeah, I think that's... I would agree. I, yeah. If I'm projecting him, it's probably 20 to 22 home runs with a ceiling of 25. But if he gets to 25 home runs and... 15 to 18 steals. All right, now we're talking yeah. about him potentially flirting with being uh, the number one second baseman. Only in a roto league, I think, again, I think LeMahieu is far and away better in uh, in a head-to-head points format. Uh, the near elite includes Ozzy Albies and Whit Merrifield. Kind of feel like Merrifield is like a blend of DJ LeMahieu and Albies. 
you, your batting average Maybe. is not going to be I, as I mean, good. The best power source of the three, I feel confident now that he's back with the Yankees, where he's hit 27 of his 36 home runs the past two years. Yep, I'm pretty know. confident saying the best power source of the three is LeMahieu, um, which is a big reason why he's number one, and he's the best batting average source by. They're all good for batting average, and yet I feel like it's not a stretch to say LeMahieu is the best source of batting average by far among the three of them because he's just... I mean, he might be the best source of batting average in baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he hit exactly. 327 and 364 his two years with the Yankees. Right. Yeah, it's hard to argue uh, with his approach in that stadium. After the near elite, we have the next best things tier for second base, <laughs> and this is... Of all the tiers that we've talked about today, this is probably the most interesting one. Cattell Marte, Jose Altuve, Kevin Biggio, Kesson Hira, Brandon Lau, Max Muncy, Jeff McNeil, and Mike Moustakis. Uh, let's just start off with Kevin Biggio and Brandon Lau because I f- think that, at least I do, I, there's questions for all these hitters, but I probably have the most questions for those two in particular. Lau was super streaky. The final numbers in 2020 were still very good. 269, 14 home runs, 36 runs, 37 RBI, three steals. Uh, and Biggio, you know, he's probably a 2020 player, but with a low batting average, better in OBP it, formats. The Biggio underlying, is like... He's so weird, Chris. What he is scraping absolutely <laughs> every ounce of value he can out of his limited tool set. Like, there is... He is... Uh, you know, when you look at the batted ball data, 30.6% hard hit rate, 5% barrel rate, 87.4 mile per hour average exit velocity, 103.6 max exit velocity. You look at all that and that's like below average pretty much across the board. But he has hit 24 home runs in 159 games, which is, you know, roughly average for a fantasy relevant player, probably a little... uh, you know, maybe a little above average for a major leaguer. And so, you know, his approach, it's a lot of fly balls. It's very Matt Carpenter-esque, except Matt Carpenter hit the ball a lot harder. And we saw, you know, with Matt Carpenter, there was a lot of peaks and valleys. And, uh, you know, I think if Biggio wasn't a stolen base source, I'm not sure he would be particularly fantasy relevant. Um, but you know, again, 20 stolen bases in 159 games. If he's a 20 steal yeah. guy, it doesn't matter. Well, the things he, yeah, I mean, for the, he's for never the been five, caught stealing five leagues, he's, he's somebody who can give you steals. And for the points leagues, he, he's like one of the best walkers in baseball. So he's, he's just like, he's perfectly optimized to matter in a way that, y- y- you know, y- You'd be afraid of him if he didn't stand out in those two very important areas for those two formats. Scott, would you actually use a top 70 pick on either of Lau or Biggio? I think I have them both just a little outside of that. You know, it it depends on the way the draft is going. It depends how close this tier is to depletion. But those those tend to be among the earliers taken in this tier, uh, the earlier ones taken. I will point out, you know, just to use... A head-to-head points example. Um, Lau was actually third at this position in head-to-head points per game last year, behind Lemayhu and a guy who we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, Lau was third, so it it was a really good year, even a format where uh, you'd think because of his strikeouts he might have issues. But uh, he was really good, like you. I think there's a lot to prove. Obviously, Cattell Marte and Jose Altuve and the not too distant pasts have been elite performers here as well. Um, so I think 
I don't want to drop them too far. Yeah, it's just a really interesting tier of guys who mostly underachieved in 2019. 2020, yeah. Mostly underachieved in 2020. Um, but it being a 60-game season and you know a lot of them have the track record to suggest the track record or in the case of like a Keston Hero, that skill set that you don't you don't want to drop them too far here. New year, same Scott. Text messages going off. Who's texting you, Scott? Because I don't know. My wife's in bed. I know. Yeah, I feel like the 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 night the text messages have not been as big of a thing. We did get one during a meeting <laughs> on Friday, which was a nice surprise. Yeah, I mean, we're recording this. It's past eleven p.m. on uh, yeah. on Sunday night, and you know, you know who it was, Frank. It was you. <laughs> well, you must have sent a group text and sometimes they get those really late <laughs> oh well that would that would answer a lot of questions because i'm it's, like it's you from the future frank like, why one is- question i have about this tier and i'd like to get your guys thoughts on it because i'm looking at my auction or salary cap values i have a dramatic drop off between the end of this tier which for me would be biggio and the start of the next tier which for me would be nick madrigal uh yeah. it's like a 50 plus point, uh, 50 plus spot in the rankings, $6 jump. Is that like that? It kind of feels like it's more than one tier for me. No, that's definitely a fair point. And if I'm just looking at ADP, uh, Mike Moustakis is towards the end of this tier. His ADP is 129. Nick Madrigal's ADP is nearly 100 picks later, yeah. 221. So, I, 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 yeah, that doesn't make. That doesn't make sense. I actually had Nick Madrigal lower in my rankings. Um, but then when I started putting together these tiers and, and you know, I was forced to grapple with who, who I really want relative to other people ranked around them, uh, I moved Madrigal way up. And I think, I, I don't know if it's uncertainty about what his role is going to be, but I don't see who else is going to start at second base for the White Sox. I think it's his, the shoulder concern, Scott. He had shoulder surgery, so yeah, he did. But like, power's not his game. Any like, power is far uh, from his Nick game. Nick Madrigal really might he he might struggle to hit for power with this shoulder injury. That's, <laughs> is it possible exactly. to hit? Like, that's not that's not what you're drafting. Like, he's easy batting average. If anything, easy, easy batting average. You know, and, if anything, if his ground balls are even slower, that just might lead to more infield hits. <laughs> it's like, is it possible to hit negative home runs? Because <laughs> Nick Madrigal might actually do it. Um, no, I think it's a good point that you bring up, though, Chris. The next best things tier that Cattell Marte, Altuve, Biggio, Hiera, Lau, Muncie, McNeil, Mustakis. That's, I really want to get one of, that's the cutoff for me. I really would like one of at least those second basemen to be my starter. And I it's really. actually just Madrigal for me in that tier. In the, uh, in the next you, tier. You're, you're jumping ahead to the next tier now. Yeah, so let, let's do that right now, real quick, okay. and, and we'll end on this. Uh, the fullback options at second base Madrigal, uh, Dylan Moore, Tommy Listella, Jake Cronenworth, David Fletcher. We really liked what we saw from Cronenworth last year, Scott, but I just kind of worry about the playing time now. They signed Hasyung Kim. They're talking about Kim potentially being a super utility player, so maybe that means Cronenworth is still an everyday bat. Uh, I think if the DH is in the National League, that certainly frees playing time up for someone like Cronenworth. So I, I like the skill set he, he showed in 2020, but just have some question marks there. And then Dylan Moore, who just came out of nowhere. He's hitting home runs. He's stealing a ton of bases. A lot of people seem to like him, but he's just kind of this guy that came out of nowhere, this mid-career breakout who really didn't even have great numbers ever at any point. I was actually looking at his minor league track record, and it was better than better than I thought it was. 
but you're right. It was, it was, you know, he wasn't even projected for having a real role with the Mariners last year. And, and you know, he's elevated a lot by the fact he stole bases and, and certainly in, in a five by five league, anybody who does that needs to be on your radar just because there's so few who do it in the quantity, a quantity like he delivered. But he's that guy who I was referring to earlier, second in head-to-head points per game at this position behind DJ LeMahieu was uh, Dylan Moore. So That's wild. Yeah. Um, his plate discipline wasn't good. He was just right. that terrible, but 8.8% walk rate, 27% strikeout rate. He was yeah. just that good on a per-game basis. He just yeah. made things happen. 38 games, he had 8 homers, 12 steals. That's yeah, massive. Right. 314 Babbitt. It's a very strange profile. And, and obviously, I'm... I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ragging him anywhere close to how he was last year, so I'm as much of a skeptic as anybody. But, um, yeah, second base really drops off here. Madrigal and Moore at the front of this tier because they're potential steal sources. Uh, Lestella, Cronenworth, David Fletcher, I only have in this tier for points leagues. Uh, but you're talking about significantly less upside for this group than the previous tier. Um, who showed a lot of them showed the extent of their downside, like Keston Hira and, and Jose Altuve, yeah. but they still have significantly more upside. I think I'm going to have a lot of time on Listella this year, even though I think he's kind of towards the end of this tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, just super safe batting average and should have good runs in RBI, hopefully. Yeah. Is he going to play for the uh, Williamsburg Towers this year? Is Are you just going to sign him to your personal like softball league? Because he doesn't, Yeah, I mean, he doesn't I guess it depends on him getting a job. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, the, the economy's recovering. We're on an upswing. I think he'll find work. Uh, the last thing that I will point out on Dylan Moore, um, I was very wrong. His, his minor league track record was actually pretty good. He, uh, he's just... Super old for a minor league. Yeah, we just do. It came out of nowhere. He's, you know, he's it feels years a little old. John Birdie esque. And Birdie last year basically returned to just being like a a decent stolen base guy with nothing else. So that that's that's the feeling I get from it. I will point out uh, Dylan Moore in 2018 across Double A AA and Triple A, 14 homers, 23 steals, and 885 OPS. In 2016, we're going back here, uh, 14 home runs, 42 steals, and 820 OPS. So he has had some seasons in the minors, big OPS numbers, some power, some speed. All right, like he, was, he was old for high A in 2016, and that was six seasons ago. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of articles that came out last year about him just completely changing his approach, and he hit a lot of line drives, nearly 25%. There might be something there with Dylan. What, what's his ADP? You have it. Oh, it's his ADP would be 128. He is going mm. uh, wow. 22 spots behind Jeff McNeil and one spot ahead of Mike Mustakis. So based like on it, it sounds like a, a hundred spots ahead of Madrigal. Which okay, like if yeah. if the ADP was look, the ADP is clearly clearly higher than I ranked Dylan Moore. So um, I guess I can't make the what do you have to lose argument yeah. for for him. <laughs> you have a decent amount to lose. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fair point uh, on Dylan Moore. The last resorts, Chris Taylor and Jonathan VR were waiting for him to sign somewhere, and he would be in a lower tier in a points league. Um, he, he'll he'll move up from here though if if he signs to be an everyday player somewhere. Let's get him back in Baltimore. Yeah, That'd that be would nice. be that would be great. Uh, deep leaguers: Gavin Lux, Jerks and Profar, Gene Segura, Nick Solak, Scott Kingery, J 
John Birdie, Ty France, Garrett Hampson, uh, Nick Solek, someone. I just can't quit. See what the playing time looks like in spring, but somebody I do like. And then there's a whole big tier full of leftovers. You can see those on the site. We're going to wrap up there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.